continuing in the series. We're in week three of the series called Second Chances. And this is a series really based on looking at second chances from the perspective of God extending his grace to each one of us. And in light of how Jesus lived and in light of the fact that today is Mother's Day, I want to do something a little bit different today than kind of the normal message. I want us to look at uh, Jesus and his interaction in terms of second chance grace giving um, to four different, actually five different women who were in his life. You know, um, it's really interesting if you look at Jesus's life. There were so many women who influenced his childhood and so many interactions that he had with women along the way. And so in second chances, it's interesting because we can take the standpoint of God offering, and we know that he offered second chances by giving his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We talked about that in week one. And, and actually, it was great in week one because there were about 10 of you who raised your hand to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and that's awesome. You're accepting that second chance that he gives through his son. And in week two, we talked about the fact that um, as much as um, we have nothing to do with the grace that God gives through Jesus on the cross, um, we have nothing to do with that other than putting our faith in him for salvation. In week two, we talked about the fact that we do need to put ourselves in a position to receive his grace in our daily lives. There's different kind of grace that God offers. There's the saving grace that we can have through Jesus Christ, but there's also the daily grace that we can receive. And I don't know about you, I need a lot of daily grace. I think we all probably need a lot of daily grace, but we have to put ourselves in a position to receive that grace. And I want to encourage you, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and listen online to those messages. But today is a little bit different. I want to take uh, just kind of a moment and rather than go through teaching where we outline scripture and kind of dive deep into scripture, I want to take a look at four different stories from Jesus's life where he offered grace to four women in his life. And to see what he did, and my prayer has been in the weeks leading up to this message, that that the Holy Spirit would pierce your hearts and, and really change your lives based on what Jesus did. Because here's the deal. If Jesus can offer daily grace, so can we, right? If Jesus was a daily second chance grace giver, then we should follow that example as hard as it may be sometimes. We should follow his example. And so we're going to be taking a look now. I will tell you that as we walk through these different passages um, today, it may be hard for you to open your Bible because we're going to be bouncing around the book of John to different passages. You're more than welcome to do that. But all the verses will be up on the screen this morning as we consider how Jesus extended grace to women he interacted with. And so we're going to be doing that today, and you can look on the screen, and you also have notes that you were given, and if you would rather, you can get online, get on our website or our app, and you can follow our notes that way. We'll take a look at your notes this morning, and let's start with the definition that we've given to grace all throughout the series. What is grace? Grace is undeserved mercy. That's what grace is. And that's played out in the, 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 the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus because we needed grace because we are all sinners. The book of Romans, Paul speaking to the church in Rome, and he tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all are sinners and we need God's grace. And God stepped in 
and he closed the gap between us and him by sending his son to be that sacrificial lamb. And that's how undeserved mercy is played out when we put our faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ. We can have heaven with God in eternity. That was week one. Week two, grace is played out in the fact that we, if we put ourselves in a position, if we are close to God, if we do the things that really are, that we're supposed to do, not in terms of law, not in terms of a list of rules and things that we need to check off, but in terms of loving God and loving people, then we can have the grace on a daily basis that God offers Today, I want us to consider these four stories. Let's take a look at the first one. It's a familiar story. It's Jesus and the woman at the well. And I wanted to begin with this story because I think it highlights an aspect of Jesus offering daily grace to someone who really needed it. Take a look at John 4, 4 through 15 this morning. You can follow along as I read out loud. Verse Actually, we're going to take a look at verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, those were the religious leaders of the day, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, verse 2, I love this part, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, verse 3, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, let's just stop here for a moment. Um, a little bit of a geography. Geography is important in this story. It's important to consider. And I realize some of you may know this story, and this will just be a reminder of this. For some of you, this is brand new. Um, Jesus was in Judea. That's where Jerusalem is located. So that's where Jesus, obviously the temple was there. It was the religious center of the day. And so all the activity in the world of that day kind of was... Uh, started in Jerusalem, and it spread out to the north and really to the, uh, to the east and to the south from Jerusalem. And so Jesus leaves Jerusalem, and he travels up to Galilee. Now, Judea's in the south, Galilee's in the north, and there's this area right in the middle called Samaria. And here's why this is important. The Jewish people did not like the people of Samaria. I mean, they didn't like him at all. They, they, were, they literally spoke of them as dogs. And so there was a prejudice uh, against the people of Samaria. And maybe there was good reason for that. That's probably a whole message for another time. But the Jewish people uh, really did not like the people of Samaria so much so, please don't miss this, so much so that if they needed to travel from Judea to Galilee, they would travel all the way around. They would cross the Jordan River, and they would travel all the way around Samaria to go up to the north into Galilee. And when it was time for all the Jewish people to gather in Jerusalem, which they did several times uh, during the year, they would again travel all the way around this area of Samaria, and they would come down into Jerusalem, into Judea. They did everything that they could to avoid being in interaction or even seeing or being around these people called Samaritans. Yet, what does Jesus do? He says he had to pass through Samaria. He went right up through Samaria into Galilee. Uh, the best way that I can picture this is um, if you lived in Georgia and you wanted to get to Kentucky but you're a Georgia Bulldogs fan and you have a chip on your shoulder that the Tennessee Volunteers have won more national championships than the Georgia Bulldogs, which I do have a chip on my shoulder about that, by the way. They've won eight, we've won five. 
I had to look that up. I'm not really that big of a fan. But anyway, if you have a chip on your shoulder and you don't like the people from Tennessee, you don't like volunteers, what you would do is you would travel from Georgia into South Carolina, up into North Carolina, and into Kentucky. I mean, there's this great interstate, I-75, that you could just take right up to Kentucky and, and then into Ohio, where most of you are live and are from. So anyway, but they would travel all the way around Samaria because they didn't like Samaria. They didn't like Samaritans. But Jesus makes the decision that on his way to Galilee, he's going to go straight through Samaria. The fact that he did that alone was a huge cultural faux pas. A huge cultural faux pas. It was commonplace that Jews would travel around Samaria, and Jesus went right through this. He risked safety. He risked ridicule, religious persecution, and potential loss of influence by going through Samaria. But I want you to capture this. He did because Jesus had no prejudice. He loved humanity, and he was on mission from God to come and to save all of humanity. So location and geography did not matter to Jesus, and he went straight through Samaria. Let's keep reading verse 5. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. This was a very important uh, well, uh, kind of an iconic location in the story of Israel. His well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So please don't miss this. Jesus is by himself at this well. He needs water. He needs to take a drink of water because he's weary and he's been traveling. And so he needs water and he's by this well. And this woman comes along and he asks for water. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, and I love this answer, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. She had the, the, the means to draw the water and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She's all of a sudden curious about this living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, this water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to her, sir... Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here and draw this water. Now listen, I want you to understand this. The cultural significance of this is really remarkable. Because Jesus, like going through Samaria was bad enough. But allowing his disciples to go into the city and for him to stay alone at this well and interact with a woman from Samaria was dangerous for him culturally. 
I mean, he violated all kind of cultural things by even engaging with her, and she recognized it immediately. We can't understand how brave, how courageous, how incredibly grace-filled it was that Jesus would talk to her. And not only that, not only did he travel through Samaria, not only did he talk and engage with this woman, but he offers her eternal life. And he tells her the story of eternal life. Now, if we were to read the rest of the story, and we're not going to read it today, we go on to find out that this woman is engaged in a sinful lifestyle. She has five husbands, and she's engaged in a sinful lifestyle. And Jesus offers this woman eternal life, and she accepts him. She believes that he, Jesus, the Son of God, has eternal life. And the city that she lives in in many parts of Samaria accepted Jesus Christ because of this one woman at the well. You see what a huge impact it is that Jesus in that moment took prejudice and put it aside. He took his safety and put it aside. He took everything that he knew about culture and put it aside so that he could engage with someone that most people thought of as a dog. Jesus loved people, every single one of them. And if we're going to reach people with a second chance of grace, we have to be willing to be where they are. We have to be willing to risk ourselves to go be where they are. Whether it's across the street reaching a neighbor, whether it's down the road with someone that you know that needs help, whether it is going to Belize, which 16 of us are going to be doing here in a few weeks this summer to help out some people in a small village in Belize, whether it's being involved in the community here on Hilton Head Island or wherever you're from so that you can reach people for Christ's students if it means engaging with some of the kids in your classrooms that most people don't like. That's the model that Jesus gave us when he interacted with this woman at the well, and Jesus offered second chance grace, and so should we. He offered second chance grace, and so should we. There's a second story I want to tell you. It's another very familiar story from Scripture. It's Jesus and Mary and Martha, and there was this family of people who lived right outside of Jerusalem who Jesus got to know really well. And Mary and her sister Martha and Lazarus, and let's take a look at this story that we read from John chapter 11. Again, I'll read. You can follow along. Verse 11, John 11, 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. That's right outside of Jerusalem. That's where he lived. The village... Uh, Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, her sister. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So this is Mary and Martha and the brother Lazarus, and he's ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus. You, you kind of get the picture here that Jesus is really not near Bethany. He's probably not in Jerusalem, um, or maybe he's far away from Jerusalem at the time. And they send for Jesus. They want Jesus to come and, and help their brother Lazarus. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I love this response. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Very interesting what he says there, and we'll come back to it in a minute. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
I mean, at, at first glance, it doesn't sound like Jesus is very compassionate here, right? This is like my daughter coming to me and saying, Dad, Sean has broken his leg outside. And me going, it's all right. It's cool. He'll live. How many of you have said that, parents? He'll live. She'll live. They're fine. They're going to be okay. I'll get to him in a minute. It sounds like Jesus is saying that, doesn't it? Like, I'll just stay here. It's all going to be fine. He'll be okay. However, there's something much better going on. There's something much grander going on. And Jesus, because he's all God, he's all human and he's all God, he knows it. And so he stayed where he was two days longer. Take a look at verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, he's talking to his disciples, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I mean, they're really in a bad spot, aren't they, these disciples? They're so negative. That's the first thing they think of. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. I mean, this is like, like you know that he's coming, and there's so much expectation that she goes out to meet him, Martha does. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like, Jesus, I heard that you stayed two more days. Why did you do that? If you had come when I said you, would, you should have come, he would be alive. How many times do we do that with God? Like, God, you need to solve my problems the way that I want on my timetable. But God has a bigger plan. God's second chance grace, sometimes, I want you to capture this, sometimes we can't see it playing out, but he does. He sees it playing out. Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Martha has this inclination that there's at least some faith that she has that he could possibly raise Lazarus from the dead. Verse 22, but even now I know that wherever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. There's the hope, isn't it? Your brother will rise again. Skip down to verse 32. Now when Mary came, Mary has not been present. Take a look at what Mary does. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus is like, man, you and Mary and Martha, you got your story straight because you said exactly the same thing. You said exactly the same thing. And I love this. I think this is the best part of the whole story. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was, what are those next two words? Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And verse 35, what does it say? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He cried. You see, what Jesus did in this instance with these people who were mourning the loss of their brother is he didn't say, hey, he's dead, get over it. He has died, you got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. 
Ladies, it's time to rise above this situation. Jesus, when he saw the agony and the emotional distress that they were under, wept along with them. And he connected with them in their time of distress. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Do you see that empathy that Jesus has? I mean, he is connecting with them. He's not ignoring their emotional distress. He's not ignoring the pain that they're in because they've lost a loved one. He is connecting with them. Look at what happens, verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, there'll be an odor. <laughs> like, look out, Jesus. He's been dead for days. You don't want to go in there. You don't want to go in there. Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you were always hearing me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. Jesus wanted to glorify God and his acts of connecting with them emotionally, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a, Laz a, a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I love this story. I love this story because Jesus connects and becomes empathetic with the stress and the strain of mourning. He obviously gave Lazarus a second chance for life, didn't he? And in doing so, he creates a scenario where he can explain the fact that we all will one day defeat death if we put our faith in him. And we all will one day be with God in heaven if we put our faith in Jesus. But the important story for us to learn in second chance grace is that Jesus did not ignore their emotional distress. Listen, I know that there are many people in your life who are going through some emotional pain. It may have been brought upon them by themselves or it may have been forced upon them by someone else. Listen, if we are going to be Christ followers, following in the footsteps of Jesus in offering second chance grace, we can't ignore that. We can't ignore it. Jesus offered second chance grace, and so should we. Take a look at the third narrative. And this may be, may be the most poignant example of Jesus demonstrating second chance grace. In this instance, he offered a second chance when no one else would. John 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. Mount of Olives was right outside of Jerusalem. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, again, religious leaders, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. I'm not going to go into any of that and how they knew, but anyway. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught, and they repeat this, in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, it is commanded for us to stone such women. What do you say, Jesus? You see, these religious leaders of the day were trying to test what Jesus would say. Their expectation is, is that he's going to say, yeah, let me grab a stone and let me join in because she has broken the law. But as many of you know, 
Jesus came to turn the world upside down. He came and brought a message that is counterintuitive of what we think. And he did so with the religious leaders of that day, and he turned things upside down. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. What do you say? They said this to test him, verse 6, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground one of the great mysteries of the Bible that we'll probably only know when we get to heaven. What did he write? And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you to be the first to throw a stone at her. I mean, these religious leaders are shocked by this statement. But Jesus, the law says this. Jesus says, yes, but I come to bring second chance grace. But when they heard this, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said in verse 11, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And from now on, sin no more. I mean, that's second chance grace, isn't it? That's the greatest example of second chance grace. When everyone else is casting judgment on someone, Jesus said, no, I give you grace. And he specifically forgave her for her sins that she was literally caught in. He didn't have to, but he did it because he's a second chance grace giver. I want to point out that he didn't ignore her sin, did he? At the end, he says, go and sin no more. It wasn't this ignorance that she had sinned in the first place. He confronted it. We're going to be talking about that in week six of this series the tension between giving second chance grace and how do we confront real issues in life because there's a tension there. But he didn't let her off the hook, but he also gave her a second chance and he didn't condemn her. Jesus offered a second chance and so should we. If Jesus did it and he's the one whose example that we should follow, then we should offer second chances to the people in our lives who have harmed us, who have fallen into sin, who have a lifestyle of sin. We don't have to ignore it. We'll talk about that in week six, but we don't have to condemn it. Take a look at the last example, the last narrative of Jesus and his interaction with a woman. This is my favorite one. I love this one. It's Jesus and his mother. It's probably one of my favorite stories. It it comes at Jesus's most agonizing moment Now, I don't want you to miss this. This is great. Jesus is on the cross. He is being crucified. He's been illegally tried for a crime that he hasn't committed. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. He had to carry his cross up to Golgotha, where they put it in the ground and hung him there on the cross to die for our sins. And as he's hanging there on the cross... There are seven statements that he utters in his agony and humiliation and in his frailty of body. And in the midst of that pain, he utters words of forgiveness and care and comfort and heaven. And he speaks a word. These are commonly called the 
seven last words of Christ from the cross, and the third word that he speaks, the third statement that he gives is recorded in John chapter 19. Look at verses 26 and 27. Jesus was there, and when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, by the way, the one he loved the most, the one that he was closest to, the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, picture this on the cross, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And that passage is often confusing, but I want you to capture this. There is so much care and compassion that Jesus had for his mom as he hung there in agony on the cross. First of all, he says, behold your son. And we don't know exactly why Jesus said this, but we can kind of maybe gather that he said it because maybe he was unrecognizable at this point. Maybe he was letting her know, I I am your son. I I know I don't look like it anymore, mom, but I'm your son. Or maybe he was connecting with her in love and care and compassion and just reaching out to her in a loving way like a son would with a mom when she's in distress. Or maybe he's saying, look, all the stress that I put on you for all the things that have happened to me, I'm doing it because I'm dying for the sins of the world. And Jesus speaks care and compassion to his mother. But in the second part of this word is where we see the most care. It's really where we see the second chance grace. He says to the disciple John, I don't want you to miss this as we close this morning. He says to his friend, behold your mother. See, Jesus' dad isn't mentioned. He's only mentioned one time in Scripture past the time that Jesus was born. Joseph is not mentioned, and most scholars believe that at some point in time during some of the quiet years of Jesus' life in his late teens or early 20s that his dad probably passed away. And so his mom would have been alone. And Jesus, as he hung on the cross, bloody and beaten, had so much compassion and care and understanding for his mom that he made sure that when he left, that the disciple he loved the most would take care of her for the rest of her life. Isn't that a beautiful picture of second chance grace? That he would take care of the one who brought him into the world in Bethlehem in a stable. He loved people. He loved the unlovely. He loved those who were in emotional distress. He loved those who were reaching out, who were unlovely, but he loved those who were closest to him. And he had tremendous compassion and grace for his mom. Jesus' examples show us as we sum it up. It's in your notes, at the bottom of your notes. Whether they were outcasts of society needing comfort in their grief or truly needing a miracle, Jesus' response to these women, five of them actually, were genuine and honored God the Father. My question to you today is how do you respond to others? Are you a second chance grace giver? Are you someone who, like Jesus, offered second chance to those who are unlovely, those who are in emotional distress, those who are loved by no one else, and those who are closest to you. I realize that second chance grace giving is not easy sometimes, is it? 
Again, we're going to be talking about that. Next week, we're going to be talking about how we extend grace to ourselves when it's hard. Week six, we're going to be talking about how we extend grace to others when it's difficult. But Jesus offered that second chance grace, and I wonder if we are willing to also. You know, it's Mother's Day, and we think a lot about family on Mother's Day, and sometimes it's a family member member who needs our second chance grace. Maybe you're a student here today, and uh, you've really been struggling with conflict that you've had with your mom or dad. Are you students willing to be a second chance grace giver to your parents? What's it going to take for you to break that silence? Why not you be the one who leads in that second chance grace giving? Maybe you're a parent in here and your child has done something to you or to your family that has severely harmed you and you haven't offered them a second chance of grace. Will you reach out and be their second chance? Maybe you're here today and you're angry because on Mother's Day you want to be a mom and that hasn't happened. My prayer for you today is that God would reach down and offer you grace during that situation. And maybe you're here today and you've lost a mother. And Mother's Day is one of the most difficult days of the year for you. Maybe there's someone who you've lost that's close to you who before they passed away, you didn't offer them second chance grace. Maybe you need to go home today and just write a letter to them, even though they're not here anymore. Because I want you to hear this. Sometimes offering second chance grace is as good for the giver as it is for the receiver, isn't it? Maybe you're a husband or wife today and you need to offer your spouse second chance grace. Jesus was on the cross in his worst agony, agony that none of us can ever imagine. He reached out and he offered a second chance. How can we then, knowing the relative luxury that we live in, the comfort that we live in, how can we not follow that example and offer people in our lives a second chance. Will you pray with me this morning? If you're here today and um, during the service, during the message, during maybe one of the songs, the Holy Spirit has convicted you that you have to go to someone today and you need to be a second chance grace giver. If you're here today and you need to offer a second chance to someone in your life, just like Jesus did with these five women. Just in the quietness of this room with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Raise your hand if you need to offer someone a second chance. I just want to pray a prayer of blessing and courage on you. Lift those hands up. Keep them high. If you need to offer a second chance to someone in your life, Father God, I pray for those who are in here today that say, Todd, I need help in doing this. This is not easy. What Jesus did is difficult for me to do. And I pray in the strong name of Jesus for those who raised their hands. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to do exactly what they need to do to be a second chance grace giver. God, help them to know exactly how to do it and what to do. And I pray that they would walk in your Holy Spirit in doing that. God, help each one of us who are in this room to be liberal in extending second chances to the people in our lives. God, you offered it to us in the person of Jesus. 
And therefore, we should follow your example, and I pray that we would do that. For those of you who are here in this room and have never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to challenge you to make that decision today. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, and if we believe in him, if we put our faith in him, we will be saved. And if you're in here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, I want to encourage you to do that. Just in the quietness of this room, just in this moment, in the best way that you know how, just ask Jesus to be your Savior. you just talked to God and you just accepted him as your savior, I want to encourage you to go back to our guest service desk. Jackie and Dick King are back there. They want to give you a gift. I want to encourage you to mark that on that connection card that's at the bottom of your notes this morning. Let us know about your decision to follow Jesus. We want to help you in that. We have several tools that will help you to do that. Father God, thank you so much for all that you're doing in the life of of this church. God, I thank you for changed lives and for many people over these past few weeks who have said yes to you. And God, I pray for many, many more. Give all of us the hope and the courage that we can follow your example. Give us the strength to do it. May we not do that on our own. We will fail if we try to extend grace on our own. But God, through you and through your power and your Holy Spirit, we can do that. I pray that we would be a church who does that willingly and liberally. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand up this morning? I just want to thank you so much um, for being here today. Um, For you ladies who are in here, if you didn't get a carnation, please get one on the way out. Um, We just want to say happy Mother's Day to each of you who are moms or serving as moms and all the ladies who are here today. Happy Mother's Day. If you're part of the Hilton Head Island Community Church family, I want to encourage you to give to your church. Uh, Jesus instructs us to tithe. And uh, boy, we've had some weeks here where we've been way under tithing. I want to thank those of you who give to God. But I want to encourage you to give back to God a portion of what he's given to you. And our giving station is open as you exit today. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. See you next week. Grace and peace be with you this week.